And we are so thankful for that great truth, that gospel that we have been singing together today. And I want to thank Dean and our singers for leading us so well in that worship of God. Today, once again, we are spending time in God's Word, getting to know David, this man of whom the Lord said, he is a man after my own heart. That's to say that David shared the Lord's outlook. And yet look at where we left off last week at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11. It couldn't get any worse. David had slept with another man's wife. He then tried to cover it up, and when that didn't work, he eventually had the man killed in order to get rid of the problem. And reading all of those events as we did last week is a great reminder to us that the Bible is as God's Word truth, and it always, always tells the truth, even when the truth is really ugly, like this truth that we read last week, what really happened in this Bible hero David's life. But it does leave us wondering, how could a great Bible hero, how could someone who was called by God and who the Bible tells us had a heart for God behave in such a despicable way? Last week, we ended at what is surely the low point of David's life. And why was what he had done such bad, bad news? And for us today, by implication, why is sin so serious? Well, we get the answer in the final sentence of that chapter that we were reading last week. Look again with me at 2 Samuel 11, and how it ends in verse 27. Well, it seems at the end of that chapter that it's business as usual, and happy families, we read this, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And this is as bad as it gets. So, the big question, is there any hope for David? And by association, given the reality of sin in our lives, is there actually any hope for us as sinful people? Well, I want you to remember that in this series, we are keeping our focus on the one who would descend from King David that much much greater King Jesus. After all, this is part of a much greater story. He is our ultimate King, and He is our ultimate Savior. And once again today, we will be reminded that Jesus is our only hope in life and in death. So, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me again. First of all, very briefly, to 2 Samuel chapter 12, but maybe have also marked out further on in the Old Testament, Psalm 51, as today we consider David the repentant sinner. And when we hear that word repentance, we need to understand what that's all about. And essentially, repentance is a true turning away from sin and back to God. If you want to describe it in this way, it is an about turn. It's a change of direction. And as wonderful as the words that David writes here, 
in Psalm 51 are, and we'll come to those words in a few moments, we have to acknowledge one important thing today, that what we read from David and about David in Psalm 51 was not a voluntary repentance. As is so often the case, when people fall into sin, David needed to be confronted with his sin and his need of God's forgiveness. And the man of God who confronted him was a prophet named Nathan. We'll meet Nathan again in the final part of this series, but we read about what Nathan says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And if you look at that chapter again, there Nathan uses a story to convict David of the truth about his life, this ugly truth. So that Nathan tells him this story of a rich man who had lots of cattle and sheep. And then there's a poor man who had one little lamb that he treated like a daughter, like a child. And when a guest comes to be entertained by the rich man, instead of him going to his flocks and his herds and taking one of his own beasts, he takes this poor man's lamb to eat. And in 2 Samuel 12, you can see there in verses 5 and 6, David's reaction. We're told that he burned with anger. He said, this rich man, he deserves to die. What is that all about? He should pay for this and pay in a big way. And I believe today that David's reaction is a great, great warning to us here in this church. We are people who believe that we know the difference between right and wrong. We have been raised in that way. We have this awareness of things that are right and things that are wrong. We have a sense of justice. We hate to see injustice and we speak up against it. And David had this in a deep way. After all, he was a man who shared the Lord's outlook. And yet, just think about what David had done. And it can be like that for us, that somehow we have this terrible capacity to be shocked and annoyed and disgusted by things that are wrong around us while tolerating and even justifying sin in our own lives. It's exactly what David was doing here. But Nathan's rebuke of the king leaves David in no doubt as to the sin he has committed. Because as David rants and raves, as he goes on about what this man deserves, Nathan looks the king in the eye and he points at him and he says, you are the man. Verse 7, David, your majesty, you are the man. And that rebuke, and then the warning from the Lord that follows on here of the consequences that David's sin would have on his own life and his family life, these leave David broken and repentant so that it prompts him to write the words that we read in Psalm 51, a broken man crying out to God for mercy and forgiveness. 
And I reckon that this psalm teaches us some very important things. It could be that some of you here today do not see sin as being a problem or an issue at all. You simply don't recognize it as being a difficulty in your life. But I'm sure that for other people here today, the reality is that you feel quite defeated by your sin, even as you think back over this past week and sin that you've fallen into, it's leaving you feeling crushed. You feel so unworthy and you believe that the Lord could have nothing to do with someone like you. Well, today, God's Word as a whole. But this psalm in particular are a corrective to those two extreme ways of thinking. We need to listen to what we learn in this psalm of God and sin and forgiveness. Let's consider, first of all, very briefly, what this song tells us about sin. And the first thing that David tells us about sin is that it is ultimately against God. Look at what he says in verse 4, and understand that he is addressing these words to the Lord himself, that he says to God in verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And that might come as a surprise to us, because we tend to think of sin as being the wrong that we do other people, the things that we do against them. And there's no doubt about it, often our sin has terrible consequences for others, as it did here in David's life. But the danger of thinking about sin in purely that way is that then we come to, to regard certain sins as unimportant, and that's a, an oxymoron, that's a contradiction. Unimportant sin is as big a contradiction as victimless crime. And the danger is that we begin to think, well, if nobody else gets hurt, what's the problem? When we step outside God's rules for living, when we no longer live according to His plan, ultimately that is an offense against Him. And so, in this story, while many people have been hurt by David's sin, and that is awful, he knows that it is ultimately God that he has sinned against. And I wonder, can you recognize that as being the reality in your life as well? And because of this, David also understood that sin deserves to be judged because he continues in verse 4. In fact, if we read the whole of the verse, he says to the Lord, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David has this understanding that if sin is ultimately offending God, then it is the Lord who is entitled to judge it and, and punish it. Now, we believe, I think that we here in this church believe what God's Word tells us about the Lord. 
and about the truth that He is an Almighty God. Often we, we even sing about that and we say about the awesomeness of our God. But the truth is there are bits of His awesomeness that we really like and we buy into, the beauty of His creation, His ability to save, the extent of His love and its faithfulness. But we don't like so much to talk about the awesomeness of His judgment, that, it, that judgment is His right and His role in this world. Have you forgotten this or maybe just chosen to ignore this? But David also tells us of sin that sin is something we inherit, verse 5. And some people are really uncomfortable with this idea because we like to imagine a, a newly born baby, a beautiful little baby, this miracle of life as being innocent and in no way being sinful. And so the idea often prevails in our society, sometimes even within our churches, that we are innocent and somehow we begin to do wrong things in the course of our life. But the big idea that is presented by Scripture and acknowledged by David here is that sin is a condition. It's not just an activity. That it's something that we are, not just something that we do. So that David says in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And this means that sin is the problem of, of every single one of us. And indeed, David goes on to say one further thing about sin. He tells us that sin damages our lives, and he acknowledges this in the psalm in verses 8 and 12. One of Satan's great deceptions is that sin isn't really a problem at all. But in this psalm, we get to see that not only does sin, our sin, impact other people, it impacts us. It is destructive and damaging to us. So that David yearns to be restored, restored by the Lord, and he describes his brokenness in verse 8. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And we know this, don't we? Our sin leaves us broken. And we know that we have more than enough stress and difficulty in this life without bringing it upon ourselves. And that's what sin can do. It can even have physical problems and result in physical difficulties for us. But beyond that, then for those who have placed their trust in God, sin can have an even greater negative impact because it can then rob us of the, the joy of the salvation that we've been given by God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that David, recognizing this in verse 12, cries out to the Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I want you to really look at that verse and notice the wording, because it's really important. It's not David saying, restore 
your salvation. He's saying, restore the joy of your salvation. David had a right understanding of the character of God, as we should do as well. Our sin, as great as it is, when we are God's people in Christ, we cannot be separated from Him. Our salvation is a done deal. But what can happen is the joy of our salvation, the joy of being right with God can be taken away from us. And maybe you have felt that at times as I have done. And so what we get to see here is the bottom line that sin needs to be sorted. And the good news today is that it can be. It can be sorted. Sin can be forgiven through the much greater king who descended from David, King Jesus. Because we also need to consider and do this really quickly, what this song tells us about forgiveness. Because as great as the problem of sin is, God's forgiveness is greater still. We've been singing that His mercy is more. And when you think of David's circumstances, his sin had spiraled out of control. And now he sought the forgiveness that the Lord alone could offer. He understands that this forgiveness is possible. Look at what he says there in verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And today, people, we can know this kind of forgiveness at the cross where Jesus gave His life in order that our sin can be dealt with? Have you looked to Him and trusted in Him and turned to Him at the cross? But the wonderful, the wonderful thing is that in His grace, God not only offers forgiveness, but He also offers restoration. So that David prays in verse 10, "'Create in me a pure heart, O God,' and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's so important for people to hear today. When we turn to the Lord for forgiveness, it's not a clean slate in order for us to go and sin once more. We think of Jesus in the Gospels when He meets the Samaritan woman in John 4, and, and there is forgiveness found in Christ. But Jesus confronts that woman with her sin. And, and at the end of the conversation, he says to her, newly restored and forgiven, he says to her, go and sin no more. And the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, will give those who truly seek him the kind of heart that is, that is new, that's not given over to rebellion, which wants to serve Him and please Him more and more. People, the forgiveness that we find in Christ is not a ticket to sin. In Christ, we become a new, a new creation so that as we end, we're able to see in this psalm the impact of forgiveness, the impact that it has on David's life and the impact that it can have on your life as well. 
that when we experience this forgiveness, it leads to a desire to share it with others, as was the case with David in verse 13. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. And it makes sense. If we have experienced this wonderful forgiveness in Christ, we will want to share it with others and make the gospel known to them. That's how life works. I think about my closest friends and the, the WhatsApp group we have and all the stuff that we send to each other during the day. But one of the things that we often do is that when, when we get something, when we buy something and it works and it's really good, if we find an app on our phone or something to do with making coffee or whatever it is, we share it with the others because we want them to benefit from what we've benefited from. Is that the case for forgiven believers here today when it comes to the gospel? And forgiveness like this leads to the right kind of brokenness. Earlier in the psalm, we, we hear of a different kind of brokenness. David is crushed in his sin and in his guilt, but now he comes to the Lord with the right kind of brokenness. Listen to verse 17. He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. That's how the Lord wants you to come to Him today, with no big ideas about yourself, but with a humility that leads to complete dependence upon Him and a humility that leads you to forgive others. C.S. Lewis wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Think about that today. I hope this song, this psalm of King David, the repentant sinner, has spoken to you today of the big problem that sin is, but also the wonderful message of the gospel that when we come to the Lord, when we truly seek Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus, that we find that His forgiveness is greater than our sin. And in our closing praise today, as our singers come to lead us in that praise, we're going to sing a hymn of the great hymn writer Charles Wesley. 